Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, Jen, good morning, and glad for those of you who uh, set your clocks. And for those of you who are wondering, this is the 11 o'clock hour, not the 9.30 hour. We'll see who comes for the 12 o'clock hour. But we're glad you're here and, and being a part of this. Um, you heard some mention of uh, Easter. It's, it's getting closer than we like to think. And uh, I want to remind you, we've got cards that you can pick up to invite people for Easter and our Good Friday service. Um, and our, our services, just kind of playing it in your ear, they're 9.30 and 11.15 because we have so many people on that day that, that in terms of using our parking lot, we really need a little extra time. So no for you, it's probably, you can still think of it as 11. <laughs> But um, we'll begin at 11.15 on that service, and we would love for you to be in a position to serve if you're able to do that to help out because, as I mentioned, we have a lot of guests. You'll have guests with you, and we want to be as hospitable as we can. So uh, help us if you would there. Also, just keep in mind um, our Spanish language service we, we start, started talking about will be beginning on the Sunday after Easter on April 12th at 2 p.m. in the Life Center. And uh, very excited about that. Uh, a great team has been working on that. But be, be in prayer right now for Juan and his wife, Fabiola Gale. They've come down with something, and they're not feeling well. And um, it's, it's really been kind of kicking them, kicking them hard this week. So I hope you'll be, be praying for them. We're a community that prays for each other. And so do that, and, um, and we'll be... Um, it will make a huge difference. We are, that song, I, I, a couple of the songs this morning really kind of struck me. God is calling us, calling us higher, calling us deeper. Um, and, and we are who, we, who God says we are. I mean, both of those things have really spoke to me in, in the service and in thinking about it in our Transform series because it's about opening ourselves up to who God says we are and allowing him to transform us to that, to, to become more and more of what he is, is said is true about us. And using these, these Sunday messages and, and the weekly small groups and the daily devotional readings that are in the, the journals here, we're positioning ourselves so that God can grow, so he can work in our lives. And, and, and we've been hearing such wonderful stories from many of you about lives being transformed, about people making decisions to put their faith in Jesus Christ, about discovering things in their journey with Christ that they'd never thought of or, or considered before, and that's, that is so wonderful. I mean, that's what this is about. It's not simply about, hey, we gather together in a church. This is about what does God want to do in each one of us to transform us. And this week, we're in week five, and we've partnered in all of this with Rick Warren and Saddleback Church to, to seek to be transformed by the grace of God. And um, not this coming week, but the following week, of course, for many of us, is spring break, and the readings actually take a break that week. Um, but here's a suggestion. Uh, if, if one of these weeks has really spoken to you up to this point, read it again that week. Because here's the cool thing. Part of the way God transforms us is we present ourselves to him. We make ourselves available more and more. And for many of you, that has been, you've begun to read some stuff every day that hasn't been a part of your practice. And I don't want you to take that week off, so to speak, but let God keep working in you and through you by just picking one of them up and do that again because that's how God works. 
He works through those, those times and those, those efforts that we submit to him. So use that for, for, for good and look at what you, can, you might want to reread that week to keep that habit going. Our theme verse in all of this is Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And, and the pattern of this world would say, stop reading. You don't need to do that. That's not important. But that's not what God says. That's, therefore, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so this week, we turn to relational health, which is right here in, in our, our icons. And um, we are going to look at how God can help us have better relationships. In particular, what, is it, what can we do to diffuse the fears that ruin those relationships, the fears that exist in us? And to do that, we're going to go back and look at the very first couple, Adam and Eve. We find that in Genesis, which is the very first book of the Old Testament of the Bible, right at the very beginning, because this is where it all began. This is where it all starts to happen, including not only the first relationship, first human relationship, for the first time there were problems in a human relationship. You know, man and woman created by God, they, they went along great for a long time because there was no sin, so there was no sadness, no sickness, no suffering, no deceit, no lying, no manipulation, no jealousy. None of those destructive things had entered into the relationship. And so, quite honestly, they were the only couple to ever exist that had a perfect relationship until sin entered the picture in them and since in all of us. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, or if you have a mobile device, you can go to the Uversion Bible app and open the live page, or use the printed notes that are in your bulletins to follow along, take notes. And if you like, you can also, or instead of, write them on page 122 in the journal, or you can write these and then attach it into here to keep up with it all. It's there for you. So we're looking at the third chapter. Everything's been recently created Satan comes now to Eve as a serpent and lying to her says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, if you look back in chapter 2, the second chapter of Genesis, you're going to see that God didn't say that. Satan is putting words in God's mouth. God told Adam that he could eat from every tree in the garden except one. But Satan's now saying, but did he say you couldn't eat in any of the trees? You know, he's starting to twist God's word, which is always what Satan loves to do. That's why it's important for us to know God's word, so that he can't twist it on us. And from the very beginning, God was giving them and us the ability, the freedom to make a choice, to choose to love, to obey God, or not. But Satan contradicts God. He says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And you look at that that passage, and right there you you see the, the crux of every temptation. It gets back to one issue. The effort, the desire to try to be like God. And and like God in that he is omnipotent, he is all knowing, he is all he is in all places. Things that were never designed or intended for human beings. And and notice, it's really interesting. Satan says, it's tempting to be like God. Do you ever hear Satan saying, hey, why don't you be like me? Why don't you be cruel? Don't you want to be cruel? Don't you want to be mean? Don't you want to be hateful? Don't you want to have bitterness? Don't you want to lash out at everybody? I mean, if, if we listened to Satan say that, it would be kind of clear. Ooh, 
I don't want that. But that's kind of our option. If we don't choose toward God, we're choosing toward him. And, and Satan instead says, you know, hey, you can be like God. You can know what's right and wrong. You know, God, he's kind of old-fashioned. He's, he's out of date. He, he, he's trying to keep you from being happy. He doesn't want you to be happy. Look, he's going he's gonna to make all these rules so that you can't have fun. And how many times maybe have we or we've heard someone say, well, you know, the, the church or Christianity or God doesn't want me to have any fun. Is it that he doesn't want us to have fun or he doesn't want us to do things that are destructive? It's a big difference. Satan says, you know, you should do this because you know what's going to make you happy. And yet many of us in our own lives have tried that and discovered it didn't really it didn't really, and Eve fell for it. I mean, there is so much in this, this whole, these first couple of chapters, but we're just going to zero in on the relational truths because in, in this we see three fundamental fears that occur in every relationship. And, and what we learn will help you in your small group, will help you in, in your, with your husband or your wife or with your friends or your coworkers, whatever the case may be. These fears all began to show up in relationships when sin entered the picture, which is where we are today. And the very first is the fear of exposure. And my, my fear of exposure then makes me distant. That's why sometimes it can be hard to get close to, to your wife or your husband or to a friend or somebody you care about, a family member. The reason for this is because there are things in all of our lives that we don't like that we certainly don't want anybody else to see. You know, I, 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 know, I know my sin, and, and, and it's a, enough of a problem as it is. I don't want you to see it. I don't want you to know about it. I don't want you to be a part of that because the, the, the things that I don't accept well on myself are the things that I very much fear that you won't also accept in me. And so I feel like, I think if I keep you at arm's distance, if I keep you away, if I don't let you get too close to me in, in a relationship you know, I, I draw you in, but not too close, then you won't see the bad stuff. You will only see what I want you to see, the good stuff. And we don't want them to see the real us many times. The whole thing, warts and all. They'll see our faults. They'll see our failings. They'll see our weaknesses. And, and we're ashamed of that. And so we keep people at a distance because we don't want them to reject us. In verse 9, it says, The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now, you know, you read that and you think, wait a minute. God is all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing. Why would he ask that question, where are you? I mean, is there something going on here? Is this something weird? Is, it, is somehow he can't see Adam? Of course he can see Adam. Of course he knows exactly what's going on. He knew it before it happened. But Adam doesn't. Adam doesn't understand what, what's happened here. And so God is asking a question to help Adam understand and to help us understand. He's giving, he's, he's in essence, he's giving Adam an opportunity to own up, to take responsibility for what he's just done. And, and here's the point. For transformation to occur in any of our lives, in any area of our lives, including our relationships, it only happens when you and I own up, when you and I admit that we aren't what we'd like to be, we, we, we fall short of the glory of God, 
we make mistakes. We're, there are things about us that aren't right that we struggle with. We have this huge capacity for self-deception and to deceive others. And if we think our marriage or our friendships are ideal or perfect, we're kidding ourselves. If you look at somebody else, they have the perfect marriage? No, they don't. They have a great marriage maybe, but there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. But we use that as a, as a, as a protection sometimes. As long as we're in denial, then nothing's going to change. There's no possibility of transformation. So it all starts with us being honest, honest with God, honest with ourselves, that our relationships aren't what they could be, what we would like them to be. They could be a lot better. And, and that, that's called confession. Confession. And, and here's the thing. Change in our lives, your life, my life, any life, does not begin until you and I admit the truth, until we're open about what is wrong or that there's something wrong and I can't even figure it out. Adam said he was afraid, so he hid. And and that's what fear does. Fear leads you and me to go off somewhere and hide. Maybe not physically, but we put up walls. We, we, We push people away. We don't want them to get close to us. I mean, what is it about each one of us that we're pretending not to know, pretending there isn't that problem in a marriage, in a relationship? Because we're afraid to face the truth, that somehow if they knew the truth, they wouldn't like me anymore. They wouldn't do it. Listen, God doesn't want you and me to fake it. He wants us to face it, to face the truth. And why was Adam afraid? He, the truth was, he, he said it was because he was naked. And, and you can be sure, I mean... We giggle about no clothes, but he was talking about so much more. He was talking about being exposed, that in a, in a very real way you are when you don't have clothes on, but it really is talking about the soul and the heart. And all of a sudden, am I open? Am I vulnerable? Am I authentic? Am I willing to not necessarily protect myself in every way, but open myself up? One of our deepest needs is to be loved, but one of our deepest fears is that someone will see us for who we are and they wouldn't love us, and so we want to put, we become distant. We put distance up. We put walls up between us. Fear causes damage to relationships. And, and right here in this passage, we see three phases of that. The first phase is shame. Because as soon as they disobeyed God, the very first thing the Bible says that entered the relationship was shame. Verse 7, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And fear is often based in shame. When you or I carry shame, we're embarrassed. We become easily embarrassed. We, we do almost anything to avoid embarrassment. We think that's the worst thing sometimes socially in our relationships. And, and, and that ought to be, a, a, a little bell ought to go off to remind us that there, that is then a sign that there must be some kind of unresolved shame in our lives. If I'm always worried about being embarrassed, shame makes me more self-conscious, more nervous, more afraid of being humiliated, of being feeling mortified, which leads to phase two, which is cover-up. When I feel ashamed, I try to conceal who I really am. I try to cover myself, my true self. Verse seven continues, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, you and I don't, I hope you don't sew fig leaves today. Pretty scratchy, but... We still cover, 
our insecurities with things like humor. You know, you get a little too close to me and maybe I, I fire off a joke. Or we, we do it by acting like our lives are all put together. I don't have any problems. What are you talking about? Or we get onto social media and, and we make it look like, you know, we've got our act together and it all, we're one of the beautiful people or whatever it is. But often we're just faking it. And we only fake it when there is a fear existing in our lives. Which leads to the third phase, distance from God. Verse 8, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Very good chance that I'm afraid to tell you who I really am. Because you won't like me. You won't like who I am. And I, and I don't want to risk that. And so, what do I do? I hide. I put up a wall. I retreat. I, I put something in, I put up a facade of something else. Adam and Eve hid from God among the trees. And, and that caused them to be disconnected from each other and from God. And that's why we have relationship problems with each other and with God. There's this disconnect. We start fearing that other people are going to know who we are. We start fearing God is going to know who we are. And that, out of that shame, we try to create that disconnect, that distance. And listen, you know, God doesn't expect you and me to be perfect. He never has. But he does expect you and me to be honest. He always has. You weren't created to be faultless. You weren't created to have the personality, maybe. But you were created to be you. And it's exactly who God wants you to be. So the first Fear is this fear of being exposed. Somehow people won't like it and, and causes me to be distant. The second fear then is disapproval. And, and my fear of disapproval then causes me to become defensive. We go from running and hiding and covering up to becoming defensive and starting then to attack other people back. We're not just hiding anymore. Now we're hurling. We're no longer just excusing ourselves, but we're accusing others. You point at them with a finger and say, but, but, but you did this, but, but you did that. It's not about me now. See, I'm, I'm putting it away from me. I'm, I'm turning the conversation to you. I'm pointing to you. And the more critical a person is, the more we probably fear disapproval. The more critical, the more perfectionistic I am, the more I probably find myself attacking others, putting them down, putting the blame on them, and taking it off of me. If I can't, if I, in my mind, if I can't ascend to where they are, then the best thing I can do is pull them down to where I am. And how do I do that? By attack. You get into the elections, and what happens if a, if a candidate is doing well, their ads are typically about the issues. But as soon as a person in an election is starting to get behind the curve, what do they do? They start the quote-unquote attack ads, pull them down. That's, that's our sinful human nature, to knock people down. And the more critical a person is, the more they will fear disapproval. God asked Adam if he'd eaten what he told him not to eat, and the man replied, verse 12, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Hey, look, Adam took it like a man, okay? He blamed his wife. 
It's your fault. But, but he didn't just say it's her fault. He said it's the woman you gave me. It's not just her fault. It's your fault too. I'm not in it. Look, I'm accusing. I'm not, I'm not excusing me. See how we start pointing the finger? And what happens in a conversation when you're with someone you care about and you start disagreeing and they start, they start pointing their finger at you and they start telling you, you make me mad or you do this. We get defensive. We don't like it. We start putting up walls. We start fighting back. We start telling them. I do this premarital inventory. One of the statements in there is that we get in arguments over little things or we forget about what we're, with the argument was about. And what I've discovered it is always because two folks have gotten into an attack mode rather than a resolution mode. And we, we can all do that. It is so easy. Remember, you spell blame, be lame. And that's exactly what Adam was doing. But, but he wasn't the only one. Because he, Adam passed the buck to Eve, and then she passes the buck. Verse 13, the servant deceived me. That's why I ate it. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. I just was here, you know. I can't help it if I ate the fruit. It looked good. But, but I wouldn't have done it if they hadn't have done that. The devil may tempt you and me, but we make the decision. We do that. And Adam blames his wife, blames God, and Eve blames his servant. My, my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. And as soon as there is this hint of disapproval, so many of us will get defensive. And we don't just hide, we hurl. We don't just excuse, but we accuse. But there's a third fear that we see here in Adam and Eve, the fear of losing control. And my fear of losing control then makes me demanding. The result here of, of Adam and Eve's sin is they lost control of their future. They lost control of their destiny, of the, of the life that God had originally intended for them. And the more out of control I fear I am, the more I feel it, that I'm out of control, my life's going in ways I can't control, the more controlling I try to become. I start bossing people around. I start making demands. I start protecting myself, defending, demanding, demeaning. I mean, if you're a, a, a really pretty secure person, you don't have to get your way all the time. You don't, do you? But if you're insecure, I don't say that this is a conscious thought for us. But we start feeling like oh, we got to get our way. We try to control what we can control. And, and look what happens in verse 16 where God says to Eve, you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. And here's where the battle of the sexes all began. All the misunderstandings, all the confusion, conflict, jockeying for power, bargaining. It all began in this situation because of sin. And it's not a lot of fun to be in that kind of a relationship where you aren't cooperating with each other, but instead you're competing. I mean, wouldn't all of us really prefer to move from competition cooperation in our marriage, in our families, in our workplaces, with our friends, where we're on the same team, where we are fighting together for the things that matter versus the little things. And we do that, the, the antidote here of these three fears that cause me to be distant, defensive, and demanding, the antidote, very simply, is love. Love. We have to learn to live in God's love. If I don't have that, I can't give that. I can't, I, I, I'm not who I was created to be. 
1 John 4.18 says, where God's love is, there's no fear. Because God's perfect love drives out fear. If I want to get rid of fear in, in a relationship or in my career, in my education, in sports, the Bible says the answer is to get God's love into that place. Get that love into me in the midst of that. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear because his, his love drives out fear. When we accept Christ into our lives, we, we, we read in God's word that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And when God's love is in us and we are allowing it to grow and increasingly decide and, and, and guide our choices in our lives, then fear gets pushed further and further and further out. We have to learn to live that way, though, because our challenge is fear. That, that verse continues, it is punishment that makes a person fear. It's punishment, the negative consequences of our actions that, that drive our fear. How many times have we been afraid to be ourselves? Because we fear we won't be accepted. Nobody will like me. They really knew who I was. It's the fear of consequences, of being genuine being myself because I ultimately I'm all I got and if you don't like this I'm really in a bad place or so I think and so it leads me to hold back keep some of me from you or present to you aspects of what I would like to be versus who I really am so how do I learn to to live in in God's love three things and and we got to do these things every day. And I hope you start to see that there is a pattern in living your life for Jesus Christ. And it is not a, a, just an occasional thing or one time a week. It has to become a part of every day, even every hour of our lives. But here, we need to every day first surrender my heart to God. Every morning when I get up, i got to say, God, maybe even before I get out of bed, God, I surrender the center of my emotions. I surrender my heart to you. I want you to be Lord of my feelings, Lord of my life. So I surrender it so that you can fill it with love. Why? Because God is love. That's what the Bible tells us in 1 John. So the closer we get to love, to the source of love, to, to the one who is love, the more it overwhelms us and works in us and works through us. If you never saw love, you would never know what it looked like. But if you get close to the source of love, if you get around it, it begins to have a positive impact. It begins to become a part of you, and that's what God wants. In fact, he wants through his spirit living in us for that to become who we are. But the further away I get from God, the more fear fills my heart. So I want to get rid of those fears by getting closer to God. And that's something i got to work on every day. Second, every day i got to remember the way God loves me. Because if I don't feel and believe that I'm loved by God or even somebody, I'm not going to offer love to anybody else. I can't give what I don't have. It's hard to be loving if I haven't felt loved. And that's a challenge for many people who, in the way they've grown up, that maybe they didn't feel like they got much love. Hey, that's why God is so important because God's love is there for you always. Remind yourself every day. That, that's why one of the songs that we sang, I am all he says I am. 
See, we, we want to dismiss some of that stuff. We want to say, no, it's not true. It's true maybe for them or it's true for you, preacher, but it's not true necessarily for me. But that's not the way the Bible says it. The Bible says there are certain things that are true for you and you've got to buy into them. You've got to believe them. You've got to convince yourself. First, that I am completely accepted. This is really important because the deepest wounds of our lives are those caused by rejection when, when someone doesn't accept me for who I am. So I spend a lot of my time then therefore trying to earn acceptance, to, to avoid rejection from my parents, from my peers, from those I respect, even from strangers. And, and you know, if you've ever found yourself thinking, I, 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 could, if I could just be perfect or I could just be really good, all my problems would go away. Everybody would treat me well if I could just attain this certain level in my life. Let me, let me just suggest something to you. Jesus, we, we read, we learn, was perfect. He always did the loving thing. He always did what was right. But you know what? There were people who didn't like him. In fact, he would not have ended up on that cross if everybody liked him. Now, if the guy who is perfect can't be liked by everyone, you think we can do much better? In fact, what we end up doing is sort of like getting in one of those little hamster balls where we start chasing ourselves and chasing around. We're going after something that we think is going to make me feel better, that somehow I can just be better, if I can be a better person, if I can just somehow, then I'll feel good about myself because other people will feel good about me, and I keep chasing that thing, and all I'm doing is rolling a ball around the room getting dizzy. That's all I'm doing. That's all any of us are doing. If we think there is somehow some level to attain whereby we will be good and we will be liked by everyone, all we got to do is look at the cross because it tells us even at that level, people reject us. People dismiss us. People won't like us. It's not fun, admittedly. It, it, it doesn't seem like it ought to be that way. But no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, there will always be some people that don't like you. It just, it's awful. But that's the result of sin in our lives. The good news is I don't have to, to meet somebody's approval to get the most out of life. I don't have to get so-and-so to say they like me for my life to be good. I don't have to get someone to approve of me for my life to matter. Because the point of all this is this, this whole acceptance issue has already been settled by God. Titus 3.7 says Jesus made us acceptable to God. What Jesus did on the cross says that in the midst of, of my sin, he loved me. He loved me so much that he died for me. That, that is proof of how much he loves me. I am forever acceptable to God. And if I allow him to be the one that matters, then whatever anybody else thinks becomes so much less important. Next, I'm unconditionally loved. You know, God never says, I, I love you because you did this, or you did that, or you didn't do this. He, he's never said that about you. You may have felt that. You may have felt like your love was earned or your, your rejection was earned, but that's not coming from God. That's coming from other voices in our lives that are lying to us. God, here, here's the thing. This is kind of a, this is a, I didn't make this up. This is kind of a saying, but it is so true. 
God will never love you more than he does right now. And conversely, God will never love you less than he does right now. It's not going to get any higher. It's not going to get any lower because it's already up at the top. If we believe who he says we are, if we believe what he has, he has affirmed for us through Christ and the cross, then we have something to stand on. But when we doubt God's love, when we doubt he accepts, when we, when he, we doubt we're unconditionally loved, then fear begins to sneak in. It says in Isaiah 54, though, it says the Lord, my love for you will never end. Uh, that's coming from an infinite being. So when he says it never will end, it doesn't mean for, for a couple of weeks this coming spring when you kind of mess something up that he's going to take a break and then never means never. There are no exceptions. And God's the only one that can say there are no exceptions. You and I and everyone you know, we're all unconditionally loved by God. But that goes a step further. I'm also totally forgiven. And so why am I carrying a sh the shame around, holding on to it if I'm forgiven? Because you and I need to keep this in mind. Before God made you, in fact, before God created the universe, he already saw your life, he already had it in mind, and you know what? He already knew you and I were going to screw up. It, was, it wasn't a surprise to him. You know, and he could have said, okay, I, I see Randy's making that mistake, so I'm not going to create him. I'm going to set him aside, but I'm going to create Joe and Mary and, and Sally. I'm going to create these other people, but I'm not going to create Randy because I see how he, hey, if you're here, it's because God wants you here. If you're here, it's because God created you in spite of what he already knew you and I would do. There are no secrets to God. There are no surprises to God. He loves you so much, and Jesus' death on the cross is the proof of how much he loves you and me, that he would offer us forgiveness through his son. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Through our acceptance of Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives, God has wiped out our sins and will never hold them against us again. And finally, you and I need to remember that we are extremely valuable. You know, two things create value. Who owns it and, and what somebody's willing to pay for it. If I held up my toothbrush for you, you probably wouldn't give very much for it. But if I held up a toothbrush that looked just like it that had been owned by John Lennon, some of you would pay out the wazoo for it, right? You would give me almost anything you could because you wanted it. Because all of a sudden, it has great value. The owner, the owner adds value to common everyday things. So who owns you? Who do you belong to? If you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, God owns you. He adopted you into his family, made you a child of his. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, God paid a high price for you. How high? The, the, his son, that's how high. God showed, Romans 5, 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Remember, he not only knew what we were going to do and still created us, he still sent his son to die for us. Value depends on what somebody's willing to pay, and God was willing to pay for you with his son, Jesus Christ's death on the cross. 
That is how valuable you are. Not because I say so. But like the song, who does he say I am? That you are one of infinite worth. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We need to remind ourselves every single day of how valuable we are because every single day we're going to get messages that we aren't valuable, that we don't measure up, that we're not worth anything. Finally, every day I need to offer that love to others. That same love that God offers me every day, not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, is the same love that, it, then, that he calls me to offer to those around me that I come in contact with. Do they, did they earn it? Do they deserve it? No. But if I didn't earn it or deserve it, why, what right do I have to keep it for me? Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. He didn't say, this is an option. Some of you Christians can do this, but some of you shouldn't. He's very direct here. It's a commandment. Whether we like it or not, whether that person has been nice to me or not, whether they deserve to be forgiven by me or not, this isn't easy. This isn't fun. There are people I don't want to like. There are people I don't want to forgive. But if God has forgiven me, which Scripture says he has, the truth of the Scripture says he has, then do I have the right not to? And what does it do to me and to my relationships when I continue to hold that bitterness and hatred inside of me? It warps all of my relationships. It hurts everyone I'm in contact with because it's a part of my soul. And what's in me comes out of me. So I have to accept everybody else. I have to love everybody else. I have to forgive everybody else. I have to value everybody else because God has done that for me. Jesus loved me while I was a sinner. While. You. While. And so if we live that love out, it will transform our relationships. Romans 15, 7 says, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. We accept others. We love others. Not because they deserve it, but because we didn't deserve it. And God still did it for me. And he does it for you. This is how we live our lives. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love never stops being patient, never stops believing, never stops hoping, never gives up. I, I, I love that in the, in the God's word translation. All the nevers, four nevers there. You might even want to circle them. That is what real love is. It's, it's how God loves you and me. He never stops being patient with me. He never stops believing in me. He never stops hoping for the best for me. He never stops, he never gives up on me. And he expects me then and you to do that for everybody else. Love never, love never stops being patient means love extends grace. 
That's what grace is. It's what somebody doesn't deserve. Love never stops believing means love expresses faith. It never stops believing in another, even through failure, through sin. It never stops believing because God never stopped believing in me. Love never stops hoping means love expects the best, the best in our marriages, the best in our relationships. Love never gives up means love endures the worst, and it doesn't give up. Throw at me the worst, but I'm going to continue loving you because God has continued loving me. I may not feel that, but i got to think that. Because as I think it, the renewing of my mind is how God transforms me. And for some of you today, I'm convinced God needs you to hear that, to really hear it this morning. Not let it just do this. Not just it's some words a preacher said. Something God is saying to you this morning because his love can, can change you and not just change you, it can transform every relationship you're in. That's what God can do. And if you want to talk to somebody about that, our prayer team is going to be down here in, in, in just a second. Some of you need, to, you need to welcome that. You need to accept that. You need to receive that truth that maybe you've kept out here of fear. God wants you to be free today. I hope you will. Heavenly Father, free us today. Help us to receive what you have to give, that you love us so much that no matter what my mind tells me, no matter how messed up I've, I've done things, you love me. You knew I was going to do all that stuff in the, from the beginning, and it didn't stop you from creating me, and, and it certainly didn't stop you from sending your son. Father, help me to receive today what you want to give me. Help me to receive your love that I might be more loving. That's the antidote to all these fears in my life that, that confound my relationships. And no, Father, I know that in this life I'll probably never get it down cold. But with you at work in me, every day I can be a little more loving, a little more kind, a little more gentle, a little more patient. And that will change the world around me, and eventually your love will change the whole world. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let his love fill you. Go and use it to serve others through our Servanthood Sunday. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.